as Simon mentioned, um, today is Legacy Sunday. It's our, it's our Sunday set aside once a year at least to really focus on um, our history, uh, our, uh, to recognize the generosity that folks in the past have had with regard to this wonderful place and to think about what our own legacy might be of our generation here. Uh, I'm Bert Clark. I've been a member at All Saints since 1985. Uh, my wife Kathy and I were married here and all three of our children were baptized out of here and they'll probably wheel me out feet first out of here, Lord, good Lord willing. Um, in my work as a financial planner and wealth manager, I help people um, make good, steward, uh, good stewardship decisions about their wealth, whether it's how to grow it or how to distribute it um, in their estate plans. And I, and I, um, it's one of, one of the most uh, satisfying parts of my job is to help clients um, develop their estate planning objectives. Uh, our fellow parishioner, Bob Edge, is a mentor of mine and um, I've heard him say on many occasions that estate planning is not about taxes, it's about everybody and everything that you or institution that you ever loved. And if you start there and think about your own legacy, um, uh, that's a great place to begin. And we want to focus a little bit on that today. Uh, I volunteered to help uh, with the plan giving effort um, at All Saints uh, because I really love this place. It's enriched my life in so many ways. And I really want to uh, be a part of making sure that it um, uh, stays healthy and uh, has ministry for, for many, many years. Um, plan giving, or for that matter, even your annual pledge, um, only happens when you feel truly connected to an institution of, of any kind, whether it's a school or a church. Um, and also when you want to see your, uh, you see your own values in it and you want to see your own values and, it, and its values perpetuated. Um, if you think about our history, we've been around 116 years, right? Uh, uh, and we exist today really only because of the gener generosity of people that had vision about how this place should be. And uh, you know, they, they gave freely of their time, treasures, and talents to make sure that this place survived. Um, both past and present, right? I mean, the, the people are still doing that today. So if their vision for All Saints is still being fulfilled today, you know, why would our generation really be any different? You know, we should have our own vision for what we want to see All Saints be in the future. So in 2002, uh, the Cornerstone Society was created at All Saints um, as a way to focus on plan giving. Uh, we now have around 180 members is that about right, 180 members, uh, some of whom are here today sporting their uh, sporty pins. And uh, if you, if you uh, join and show us that you've made a planned gift, you can, you can get one of these. Um, so I want to, I see a number of those folks around the room. I want to thank you for your dedication and love for All Saints. And our goal is to try to double the size of that group over the next three to five years um, by focusing and, and giving some exposure to, to this important topic. So um, that's my introduction. I'm joined today by three distinguished panelists, um, most of whom uh, uh, you would know, of course. Um, and I want to introduce them, of course, Simon, our wonderful rector. Um, 
Sheffield Hale, who's the president and CEO of the Atlanta History Center. Chairman, uh, you're not chairman, that's not your chairman. You're president and CEO, right? Or is that his title? And I love Catherine's title. I had to write it down so make sure I got everything. She is the Senior Associate Dean for Development and External Relations at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. I got it right. So now I'm just going to say the Rollins School. How about that? Great. Um, we're going to talk about the topic of legacy giving. And we use those words legacy giving intentionally to distinguish it from normal kind of estate planning. Okay, estate, everybody has a will, right? And, and, and well, M Missy would say no, they don't, but they should have a will. And, um, and, you know, so that's the first level of estate planning. Second level is what to do with your 401k and IRAs and life insurance policies, those kind of things. But legacy giving is really different. It's, it's, it's thinking intentionally about what you want to do with your wealth, right? And, and the impact you want to have with it. And so we want to talk less today about the how of planning, you know, the different strategies and ideas, and really talk more about the why. You know, what, why do people, what motivates donors to make a planned gift? Uh, as you consider your own giving, uh, what should you be thinking about? And so um, uh, that we, we can talk all we want later. You can corner me, Missy, Ellen, somebody, and talk about the specifics of how to make a gift. But today we we'll want to talk about the about the why. Okay, so let's jump right in. Catherine, I'd like to ask you in your role at the Rollins School, uh, what thoughts or images come to your mind when you think of the word plan giving or legacy giving? Well, first, thank you for inviting me to do this, and I'm glad to see so many people with your pins on. That means we're really preaching to the choir today. <laughs> um, when you asked me that question, um, I have to tell you, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about planned giving is a story I heard a long time ago, and that is that there are people who are dying who've never died before. <laughs> 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 so it's important to think ahead. Um, planned giving, like you said, is really intentional. I mean, I think planned gifts are made by people who um, are committed to something, who care about something, who want to see something they care about exists long into the future. Um, but planned gifts are also made by people who may be able to make a more substantial gift through their estate plans than they can from their checkbook. So sometimes those are the really you know, fun conversations to have. I really would love to do a lot. I can't do it right now, but maybe I can as part of the big picture in my estate plan. So those are the things I think of first. So that brings up an important point. So planned gifts are made out of your accumulated assets, whereas annual gifts are typically made out of cash flow. So that it, typically people have the ability to make a much larger gift or to perhaps even endow their own uh, annual gift, and we'll talk about that a little mm -hmm. later. That's great. Simon, can you expound on Catherine's answer a little bit and give us some spiritual context for planned giving? Um, what's, what's our biblical imperative here? People get nervous when they read the Bible uh, with the topic of money, uh, and often we get we kind of get stuck at the first road bump, which is you know the love of money is the root of all evil, and so let's not talk about it again. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a couple of uh, beautiful moments. There's money is um, a, a topic in terms of the gifts that we have to offer. Um, if we imagine that you know money wasn't there was a time when, for many people, money wasn't a dollar or a currency, but there are other forms of exchange. We heard that actually this morning about yeah. the first fruits. Um, I love the story of um, Joseph 
thinking about his whole life, which um, took some uh, difficult turns, particularly with his family. One or two of us can relate to that from time to time. Um, but he saw his life as a legacy, which I think is fundamental. He saw that God's faithfulness would work through his life, and so was able to trust on that, um, even in a setting that was foreign to him and thrive because of that faithfulness, um, able to then say in front of his brothers while he was in the mix of Egyptian authority and power uh, that, that I have been set aside, if you like, my life has been consecrated um, to, be, um, to be a remnant for you, to help you now in your hour of need. And that's, there's something wonderful there that the Bible clearly gives us a long-term view of our resources. Um, and that we trust that to God in the context of the church, and that um, that God, if you like, will yield um, the produce, that those first fruits come to a harvest. Um, the other figure that um, sometimes Episcopalians struggle with for all sorts of different reasons is St. Paul. Um, well, St. Paul was, um, was kind of the original development officer of the church. Um, and if you read the epistles of Paul, you'll see him refer again and again to the collection, particularly for the Jerusalem church. Paul struggled with the Jerusalem church because that was the church of authority, if you like, the first apostles. And he was, as one untimely born, not among them. The Lord appeared to him differently, if you like. Paul was adamant that part of the way of Jesus Christ would be that the churches beyond, often the Gentile churches beyond the Jerusalem church, would support that Jerusalem church because they had less. It was really very simple, that we are one body, and so those that can give of their abundance will, not because it's the right thing to do as such, more that it's the life that God has called us into. That's the story over and over again, that God's uh, life that we're called into is a life of abundance uh, and never scarcity. That's the ultimate story of life beyond death. And I think that frames uh, our whole approach, noting that the context for our conversation about money, just take in America, is so many people living with scarcity, living with debt, can't imagine that there could be more. Uh, yet our framework for thinking about it is that there is always abundance. So in a way, a planned gift might be the culmination of a lifetime of of discipleship and, and, and giving, right, and, and, and some of that mistake, okay? Sheffield, so you're the CEO of one of Atlanta's most treasured institutions, the History Center. Can you talk a little bit about how important planned giving is to uh, an institution's health long-term? Uh, and uh, when you think about it in terms of the History Center or any other institution, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, first, um, thank you all for being here, which is apparently a Trojan horse event to get me to make a planned gift. <laughs> um, I knew this was going to be expensive for my stealth. children. <laughs> We're stealth like that. Um, so I can't say no to Ellen. So um, for the History Center, for example, we wouldn't exist as the way we are were it not for a planned gift from Walter McElree, who left us. When he died in 1955, he left um, his estate, life estate to his wife, had no children and the remainder of the History Center. She died in 1965 and we received $5 million at that time, which is now the bulk of our uh, um, unrestricted endowment, which is, you know, our endowment's about 70 plus million, depends on the day, maybe 80. 
Um, so that we would not be able to exist. Um, and we would not have been able to bring the cyclorama if we didn't have that kind of, um, you know, sta stability for our overhead. The cyclorama gift was spurred by a planned gift, a charitable remainder trust. So that $10 million charitable remainder trust has allowed the, the Whitaker fam Whitakers to see the fruit of their gift currently, and it spurred another 70 to $80 million of giving citywide. So it's one of the most impactful planned gifts I've ever seen. So I think that was that. the largest charitable gift ever made in Atlanta, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I mean, Super History Center. Sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, no, but close. I mean, it, it depends. Time value, money. I was to McElroy. If you look, at, by the way, if you look at our, our donor wall at the History Center, I put all our donors up there since 1926, but I just did all the donations for um, inflation. I had to get Walter McElroy's at the top. Um, and so, because a gift 20 years ago is a worth a lot more than a gift today. Um, so, yes, and, and, but for us, it's about being able to have an institution that's going to exist in perpetuity, that's going to take care of all of these artifacts, documents, archival material. There's no revenue that's generated by that, only cost. Um, so, being able to have that kind of endowment is, is perfect for an organization like that, also for a church. Um, and so one of the things, you know, I like to think of here is what does it cost to keep this place heated, air conditioning, air conditioned, and maybe one priest open the door, right? Um, you know, that's probably at least a um, $15 million endowment just for that. We have, what, 10 now. And a lot of that's probably restricted. So there's, a, you know, there's a lot to build on. And so for the History Center, um, in any institution that's there to ex you know to exist in perpetuity, endowments are extremely important. So you raised the issue there of and what an endowment is and and how it how it works. But the the way, as many of you know, who serve on charitable boards or whatever, when a when a when a, an amount of money goes into an endowment, the unless unless you're told exactly how it should be spent. The uh, endowment committee gets to invest it, and then usually there's a spending policy off of the endowment of four to five percent a year. So, if we have, for example, a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar operating budget to run this place, it, it takes about fifteen million dollars of endowed funds to produce that seven fifty every single year, adjusted for inflation. And that was the example that, that Sheffield gave. Um, um, we'll get to that in just a minute uh, when we talk specifically about all things endowment. Um, so, when um, when we think Sheffield about you know the long term health of an organization, obviously, you know y'all have been able to grow that endowment substantially through the years. Um, could you estimate like how much of that might have been raised through plan giving? I'm just curious how much of your endowment has been realized through plan giving. I mean, a, a, f a fair amount. I mean, I mean the bulk of the endowment just because of that one gift plus the incremental ones over time. And we've had some really interesting ones. Um, we've had uh, someone recently who um, was giving us uh, $50,000 a year um, to do programming, um, is giving us a, an endowed gift to equal that amount. 
and and that's one of the one of the things. That would take about a million dollars. Million dollars uh, to do that, and to do programming around women's issues, at the hit, you know, in perpetuity that we can accumulate and and spend as we need, but to make sure that those, as opposed to building a wing or something like that, having you know endowed programming is is just amazing for us, uh, and so that's in a creative way of doing it, and then one of the things that we're really reaching out and trying to do from now on is to get people to endow their um, annual their annual giving okay. and because you know people are right now we're becoming more and more dependent on fewer wealthy people just because of what's happened to the hollowed out middle class in the country and and so there are going to be less people giving at the five thousand or five thousand and less um, or really five hundred dollar level going forward and so we're really trying to reach out to the folks that are giving us five and ten thousand dollars to talk about how about if you endow that gift in perpetuity so that it will be available to everybody else after you're gone? Um, because we don't know that we'll be able to replace those, those folks. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's, that's something that institutions are facing today that maybe they weren't facing 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? I mean, in terms of that, the number of people that are, that are giving. You, you just can't assume that the annual gifts are going to continue. So shifting gears a little bit uh, towards what motivates a donor, Catherine, um, you and Judd are members of the Cornerstone Society. Thank you for that, Judd. Thank you. Um, can I ask why, specifically, that you chose to make a planned gift to All Saints? Just what exactly was in your thinking? Well, we give to a lot of different organizations, but the church is far and away the most important one to us. So it stood to reason that when we started thinking long term about, you know, our estate plans that the church would be you know, at the top of the list just like it is for our annual pledge. So it was a pretty easy decision. Um, it's also, I think, important to think, like we've been saying, to think about the things you care about. Um, but I want to, can I just follow a little bit up on what Chef has said? You know, w at, at the History Center and at Rawlings, you know, we, we're fortunate to have some really magnificent donors that have done a lot for us. Um, but I want to make this point, because I do this all the time, Every plan gift matters. In fact, every gift matters. And so I think a lot of times people think, oh, you know, if I can't leave a million dollars in my estate, maybe it's not that important. Um, what I want to tell you is that every plan gift matters, and I think virtually everyone we know in this parish can make a plan gift at some level. It doesn't need to be a six-figure, seven-figure gift. Um, it could be, you know, a $10,000 gift, or it could be a $5,000 gift. It could be whatever amount is meaningful to you. I think what's important is to say, this is a place that matters to me, you know, that this is my spiritual home. Um, I want to know that it will always be there, and I, and I want to, when I'm making decisions about how to divide up what I have, that this is at the top of my list, or at least it's near the top of the list of things you'd want to support, um, because every single gift does matter, and those smaller gifts add up. Sure you know, for me, some of the, you know, of course, the magnificent multi-million dollar gifts that we've gotten at Rollins are incredible and exciting. But I can tell you, sometimes the most exciting gifts to me are when a faculty member comes to me and says, I've spent my career here, I want to give back. Or even more, when a, alum, a young alum, we've had a young alum come to us recently and say, I'm going to put the school in my estate plans. Well, that says a lot. And remember, we're in graduate school. This is not college. This is somebody going to graduate school who wants to do that. So um, every one of those gifts makes a difference, and I'm grateful to everyone there, just as we are grateful to all of you here. Great. So, Sheffield, what's on a donor's mind? Uh, as you work with somebody to solicit a planned gift, what's, 
what's on their mind? What, how, do you, how do you get them to focus? How do you get them to, uh, to, to formulate uh, their vision for what they want to do? Well, I mean, it, it, everyone's different, and it depends. And some, sometimes, like the Whitakers read it in the paper, and they had a vision, right? And they said that they'd never been to the History Center and said, I have a way to make a, a difference in the city. It was a civic gift. Um, they called me up, and I said, best lunch I ever had. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but other times, it's, it's really talking to people about what's, what's going to happen when, when you're gone, your interest in history that may not be shared by others, including your millennial children. <laughs> that that um, that how to perpetuate that and to perpetuate things that you care about and uh, and then and that's it and that's it and that's easy and so the, the you know basically the the pitch is if you're giving X dollars a year would you consider 20 X in your in your estate to endow it and uh, and some people can do that and 10 X is great too yeah X is good yeah thinking about a planned gift that uh, the High Museum received a few years ago that um, uh, and, and, and thinking about Catherine's point about small versus large um, uh, there was a, a woman who um, uh, uh, I, I think her name was Catherine Riley Catherine Murphy Riley anybody remember that that name um, she uh, grew up in a house that uh, was located at the corner of 14th Street and Peachtree and um, it's now Collins Square, and uh, when she died, I think around 1951 or something like that, she left some stock in a small trust for her two housekeepers, and they basically had a life estate and the dividends only of this stock, which happened to be Coke. Um, and uh, when the last one of those housekeepers died uh, about three or four years ago, uh, the High Museum received $3 million dollars. And it was an incredibly small amount of stock that she left for them. So you, you never know what the true long-term value of your gift is going to be, right? It can be something small. It can be something very large. But the aggregate value of everything is what, what matters, right? Uh, the number of folks that, that we can do that. And we'll talk a little bit more about, about specifically how that helps the endowment in a second. But Catherine's point is very important that the – the number of people that give and the and, and getting them to focus on endowing perhaps their annual gift is a great way to, to build the church in, in perpetuity. So I'll just turn to Simon on that particular issue then. Can you talk about what happens when All Saints receives a planned gift? Okay, so I've let you I've I've not I've named All Saints as a beneficiary of my IRA or four oh one K or maybe you get ten percent of it or something or maybe I've named All Saints as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, and I pass away, and then my pro my my executor calls you up and says it's a planned gift. What happens with the money at that point? Yeah, so it will, un unless there are specific instructions. I've made an unrestricted specific gift. So, as you'd mentioned before, it would go into our um, our endowment that has a set of policies. In fact, there are some. Uh, Saints have got a special place at the table this last year in Heavenly Banquet because they went through all of the, they managed to work through, um, we had an historic endowment and then there was uh, something at the turn of the century that was worked on. Um, and now we have thoroughly uh, renewed and, and voted upon, it was hours and hours of work, policies. And so it would be 
um, pooled, we have around $10 million. And, and we were recipients, as you may have read, Dwayne did a beautiful story on Bob and Kurt Henson, who left a $3.5 million gift to All Saints, the largest in our history, um, which allowed us to get to that $10 million mark. Um, so it will be part of that those same spending rules. Um, and we have um, instructions within our uh, budgeting for, for what the uh, endowment income is used for year by year. I would say that um, some churches struggle with their endowments. Um, there are not many churches in the Episcopal Church that have, we're just under a $4 million budget. There are very few churches that have that kind of budget. There are even fewer in the group of churches that have $4 million and above, which is a very small group. There are even fewer who have such a strong pledging base. Um, often when you see that size budget, you're seeing a historic and large endowment. And um, when Ellen and I attend the SEAT conference, the Consortium of Episcopal Endowed Parishes, all of us sort of either physically or literally roll our eyes when Trinity Wall Street, which you know owns a good part of uh, <laughs> that part of town, um, says we, s we struggle so much to raise money at Trinity. Um, the health of a, the relationship to endowment really is in relation to the strength of the giving, which is all about the commitment. And it really is the case that what, what you want in a church is a community committed to the mission of that church. And the dollar amount is reflective of their, their lives. Uh, but it's the act of making the pledge that is that, that sign of commitment. As it is, the, the, the act of joining a society like the Cornerstone Society is, a, is an, an, an ex also an expression of that commitment. So I, I see uh, as the, those kind of gifts come to All Saints and that endowment grows, our work remains focused on that, but truly focused on the giving that happens throughout the year, um, and that we're in a very healthy place in regards to our endowment. Um, I would say there are very few churches that are really in this kind of healthy level of, of giving. And I've had folks say, well, you know, maybe my gift doesn't matter. And, and I really stress the point that it is the act of that commitment that matters more than anything. Um, we are blessed doesn't mean we won't have spaces for more because um, there's always spaces for more and all sorts of committees, the endowment committee and the finance committee and so on. Um, the other side of this, of giving and commitment is the, the, the sheer level of commitment of our parishioners to help us have strong and effective governance of our financial life across the board, including, of course, the management of our endowment is outstanding. I've never come across a parish where that, that kind of commitment is so strong. And I think they go hand in hand. The way in which people give of their time and their talent here certainly does match up to the way in which people give of their treasure, which makes this such a vital parish. Thank you. So uh, we can sort of do the math, can't we? And if we've got a budget of just under $4 million and we've got an endowment of around 10 and we can spend about 5% of the 10 every year, that means we're raising um, 80% of our budget every year, right? And that's, uh, that puts an, uh, you know, that, that, that puts an enormous, uh, that, that means Ellen has worked <laughs> super, super hard on that annual, on that annual campaign. Uh, and we do have a number of donors. We, we're very healthy with the number of pledges, right? And, and, and all that, but, but the ability to grow and to, and to think longer term and to 
maintain the integrity of this block is, uh, is going to be in large part res uh, due to the fact that we, we will grow our endowment over time. And most endowments are actually grown through plan giving um, uh, or through every now and then capital campaigns. You know, typically endowments don't grow. We're, uh, people don't typically give to an endowment without some kind of special reason, uh, whether it be a campaign or, or, or a bequest. So that just that gives you a little bit of the flavor of, you know, a little bit of the math behind uh, what, what we're trying to achieve here. Um, so, Catherine, when you think about words like stewardship or legacy or endowment, what's what do those words mean to people maybe of modest wealth uh, or maybe even for people who are younger, like um, who are under 50, for, let's say? I think most people under 50 probably aren't thinking about those words very much, <laughs> um, which is an opportunity for us to talk about. But I'm glad you mentioned stewardship because um, I want to make the distinction. Um, uh, some of you know that years ago I was a stewardship chair a couple of years in a row, and that meant a lot to me to do. Um, most of you may know my father was a priest, and I grew up in a household where stewardship was on our minds all the time. And when I finished college, my father said, well, you are tithing, aren't you? And I said, oh, Daddy, I can't afford to do that. And he said, you can't afford not to. And so I took that on. I, I would like to tell you that um, I started that day to give 10% of my income away. Um, I, I didn't do it right off the bat, but I worked up to it. And so I want to make that distinction about stewardship because even if we had all the endowment in the world and it paid for our entire budget, that would not take away the need for us to be stewards of our incomes and what we have. And so I really always, I don't ever talk about this without making that statement that I think that um, the act of giving, like Simon said, is so important to us spiritually that um, our annual pledge, and I, I, like, you know, I want to think about it as our pledge to the church and stewardship. So now I'll answer your question. Um, your back point, to younger yeah. people. Um, I think the more we talk about it and the more we wear our pens and have people ask, why do you have the pen on? You know, we need some visibility for this because most young people aren't thinking about it. Uh, but I hope that, you know, people are thinking younger and younger about their plans for their families and that as they think about how they take care of their families, they think about how they take care of the church. So, you know, for us at, at Emory, you know, we like to talk about our mission, and it's really mission-driven. I mean, at Rollins, our mission is to improve health, to prevent disease, um, to save lives. And so um, that's a pretty easy mission. I mean, m most people can buy into, let's save lives and prevent disease and improve health. So we start with that, and then we start with how can you make a difference in this at any level? And um, you know, we do bring planned giving into the conversation. We tell stories about it. We try to um, highlight those stories so that people think, oh, I could be one of those people. And we certainly celebrate those gifts um, by being pretty visible about it. Um, but I think it's a conversation that we can all be part of it. And so, so many of you have already made this decision. I hope if you're not wearing a pen, you'll have a pen soon. Um, we can be the ambassadors for this and help younger people. And it may just be talking to our own children. I mean, many of us have adult children who, you know, it's time for maybe them to think, oh, I need to start thinking in this direction, even though I might just be, you know, early in my career. I do, I do think that um, one of the things I see very frequently is that people get into log jams um, with respect to their, uh, their thinking about their wealth. You know, they, they have a, I'm sure Missy would back me up on this. A lot of people just don't go to meet with the attorney or with their financial planner or accountant or whatever because 
there's some, there's something going on, some dissonance in their life in their life that's uh, that's preventing them from being able to make a decision, right? It might be a, one of your children, you know, or it might be a broken relationship or whatever. Um, and I always say to people, well, this is a great place to start. You know, don't you know, put that aside just for a second. Let your heart speak to you about what All Saints or uh, a school or whatever has meant to you and think about that gift first. And then sometimes that leads the person to be able to uh, think more clearly about what they want to do overall with respect to whatever they're going to leave to their family. Um, So as a part of plan giving, you do have to figure out how your family is going to be economically secure, of course. You you have to do that. That's that's what uh, any good planner will help you do. Uh, but once you do that, you know, uh, and you take a real sober, realistic look at, okay, well, I, I, if I can do that, uh, you know, maybe I can make a gift of five or ten percent of my estate or my retirement plan or whatever uh, to accomplish uh, this larger, this larger picture view. Sheffield, you, you're you're a cradle Episcopalian. You're you've been a member of All Saints your whole life. Your mom and dad uh, were very generous uh, folks here. Um, what advice did they give you about plan giving, and what advice would you have personally for for this crowd today? Well, I mean, my father was, an, among other things, an estate lawyer, and so he he did that his whole life, and so I watched watched him him do that, and, and I saw the fruits of that from his his clients and what he did. He also um, yeah, really enjoyed the expression that the definition of gratitude is a favor about to be received. And I think that that is, is something with plan giving because you can always change it, Simon. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you can think about it, if, if you fill out an, your, your state plan, you can always change it. So you shouldn't be afraid of going ahead and to do it thinking that, oh, I might change my mind later. Well, you can always do that. Now, hopefully they'll just forget about it and they'll go into a drawer and it's done and it's a painful and you don't want to do it again. But, I mean, sometimes that's a barrier to people. It's like, oh, I might change my mind. Well, just do it. And and I just happen to have here examples of how you can do that. So if you have an IRA, you just get a change of beneficiary form, and then you put down the percentages of the things you want to do. We didn't discuss props, Sheffield. We didn't discuss props. We, but it's so easy to sign. And, 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 and you don't have to go to a lawyer. You don't, you know, I think on one of them I have to talk to my spouse about, and the other one I don't because I've got two of them, and Elizabeth's not here, so I can do what the hell I want. Um, but, but you know, it's something that's easy to do. You don't have to talk to anybody. Ask them to send it, sign it, send it back in. Do it. Yeah, that's true. So anything like an IRA, 401K, or a life insurance policy is a simple beneficiary designation. And so how many of you work at a place where the employer gives you a free life insurance policy? Not many? Okay. A few? That's one of the easiest ways. They're giving it to you for free, so why not designate a piece of that to, to go to a charity? Uh, an IRA or a 401k, you can just put down there, I'd like to name All Saints as a, uh, as a 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever percent uh, beneficiary. Um, and then if you're literally, you know, you're, if your time is up and um, you die prematurely, then obviously that's going to be settled. And you've got the rest of your life to figure out. If, if you are blessed with a good long life, you've got the rest of your life to think about exactly what your uh, 
and I'm more specific guest might be. So I agree, I agree with that, and that's great. So what you should start. do, basically, start. what you should do is start by taking what your annual gift is, multiply it by 20, figure out what percentage that is of your IRA, and put that percentage in. Done. That's exactly right. Thank you want the ask? Is that the ask? That, that's that's what we're asking everybody to do, right? Or a life insurance. Plan, really easy. Yeah, no, it's really. I mean, easy. it's math times ten times two. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Jeff is good at math. That's good. That's great. That's very. That's that's, that's, that's that Westminster education. Well, this is great. So first of all, I want to. We're right at eleven. So I wanted to. Um, I, I want to first. Let's have a hand for our panelists today. There's a, there's a lot of wisdom. You heard a lot of wisdom today, and well, thank you all for that, and th grateful to you all for your participation, for your time and uh, giving of yourselves today. We appreciate it. Um, it is very easy, so my, my email is very easy. It's bert at bertclark.com, B-E-R-T-C-L-A-R-K, or you can contact Ellen. We're happy, and we, you have a handout. Thank you, Ellen, for pointing that out to me. There's a handout here about a, with, uh, that has some information uh, about some of the hows that we talked about. Um, again, we're trying to really grow the Cornerstone Society. So if you're not already a member, please, please um, feel free, no obligation. Just have a conversation with Ellen or me or Simon or any of our committee members, uh, Catherine, Missy, McMorris, uh, Bill Fryer's around, floating around here. Yeah, Valerie. Valerie. Um, Bob Bunker, yes, thank you. We got we have a plan giving committee that that's kind of overseeing this effort. So please feel free to, you know, grab us and, and and have a quick conversation about that. We're more than happy to help you just with your thinking about how you can approach plan giving. Um, and uh, and then finally, I'd just like to say to the Cornerstone members that are out there, thank you for your for your gifts. Um, it is important that we stay up to date with your thinking. It's not like you, 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 do, a, you do it once and, and we never have another conversation with you about it. Um, if we can ever help you further your thinking that, uh, about your gift, um, you know, or maybe increase your gift, we would be glad to talk with you about that. So um, feel free to elbow us to, uh, to talk about that too. So again, thank you, we're glad you came and um, hope this was helpful to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, that was excellent. Mm.